знаю, но надо спросить. Мы недавно приехали сюда два назад. Because we, we have just arrived here, so we don't know anything. Потому что там сильно бомбят. Невозможно этот звук слушать. Домы все падают. Там трупы валяются. У меня сильно голова болит, ну и все так вот тошнит. Это ужас был. It, it, it was disgusting, it was really terrible. We were, we were afraid and, and praise God we are here and we stayed safe. Welcome to another episode of On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse, a podcast taking you to the front lines and behind the scenes of our work around the world. I'm your host, Christy Graham, and the voice you just heard was Violetta. She's one of the patients our medical team has treated in Lviv, Ukraine. And as you can tell, she's completely traumatized. Samaritan's Purse has been working on the front lines in Ukraine to provide medical help, food, and critical relief supplies as the conflict continues. Our team on the ground is reporting that many of the patients that they're seeing are completely shell-shocked. They want to escape Ukraine and get away from the conflict. And so many of them hardly want to sit down for an exam, even though many need surgery or medical intervention. They just want to get out of the country and get to safety. And it's so hard and heartbreaking to hear these stories, but we wanted to share how Samaritan's Purse is helping in Jesus' name. And so first, I want you to hear from our Deputy Director of International Projects, Dave Phillips. He shares what Samaritan's Purse is doing, but more than that, how he's seeing God work in this time of crisis. So Dave, the circumstances are changing every minute, I know, but can you maybe just give a overview of what Samaritan's Purse is doing in the response to Ukraine? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so I, I think the first thing to say is, is just the need is so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so the Samaritan's Purse team uh, is doing an incredible job on the ground right now, serving people in Jesus' name. And the, the specifics of what that looks like right now is that we have four medical facilities uh, that are spread across the country. Um, we have an emergency field hospital. Uh, we have uh, stabilization centers at locations where refugees are, are, are uh, piling up, which is really train station, bus station. And then we have outpatient facilities where we're serving people. Uh, the need is really so great and the country is so vast. You know, it's about the size of Texas mm-hmm. and there's something like 45 million people that live in Ukraine. If you think about maybe 3 million have left the country, um, then that leaves you over 40 million people still in the country, many of them displaced. And so we expect in the near future, uh, even in the next coming days, that additional needs will pop up and we'll be able to meet those needs with further medical facilities. Um, we also have a lot of non-medical programming going on. You know, we've mm-hmm. served over 35,000 people across the country, including with uh, hygiene kits, food items, and other things, especially for the winter. You know, so many people are being displaced in the middle of winter, so winter items are really critical right now. Mm-hmm. And you are here at headquarters with the incident management team. So you are watching them respond because they are busy working around the clock. As you mentioned, things are changing every minute. Uh, but you also are, are well you know, aware of what's happening on the ground. And so what we've been impressed with is testimonies from our staff and just how God called them. You know, we heard many say, Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me, you know, even though it's a war zone. Um, 
So talk to me about just what you're even seeing, how you how people have been prepared for this response, because every response is different, but yet there is some commonality in a crisis like this where things are always changing. So how have you been watched people be prepared? How have you had the right people for the right time? Because we just keep saying for such a time as this, mm-hmm. we have the right people for this response. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when, when you ask that, Christy, the first thing that comes to my mind is that... Um, there's, God is doing things in Ukraine right now. And, you know, we look at the news and I think it's important for us to understand what's happening in terms of the war itself. But there's a story that's underreported, which is what God is doing in Ukraine right now. And Samaritan's Purse is right in the middle of that. So I think about, you know, that you mentioned that the staff, that our team has such a strong sense of the Great Commission and of being the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, becoming the story of the Good Samaritan, where we're going into uh, the world and we are finding the person that's fallen into the ditches of life and we're, and we're providing them food and water and medicine and a tangible expression of the gospel. And so our teams, you know, some of them have been in uh, education in school for 20 years, you know, if they're an orthopedic surgeon. Mm-hmm. And after 20 years of that, praying and preparing and thinking uh, in their bodies and their minds and the resilience to be able to tolerate um, situations that are very dangerous, mm. uh, being wise about how to handle secure items like security and cross-cultural issues. Now the time has come, the bell has rung and they're, and they're going towards the fire. And so it's, um, it's really stunning you know, to see our team members come together like this and, and if I could, just another thing is that the pastors, the local pastors mm-hmm. that are doing the same thing, the courage, the faith, they're not leaving, they're staying, they're loving people to opening the doors of the church. Uh, there's displaced people and refugees, and they're just there loving people in the name of Jesus in a very dangerous situation. And so um, I, I think there that, it, 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 again, it's, it's not that we shouldn't know about where the bombings are happening or what the politics are, mm-hmm but God is doing something. And that's the story, Mm -hmm. I think, of what's going on. In the midst of a very dark situation, God is acting in Ukraine to Mm -hmm. show his love to people that are suffering. We wanted to share the why and the heart of what Samaritan's Purse is doing because God truly has knit our team together for such a time as this. Each person, from the translators to the construction teams to the medical professionals, they were all prepared and called by God to serve in the midst of this crisis. And the response is changing every day, as Dave mentioned. Uh, But we see God continuing to direct our team on the ground, and they're following his lead. If you listened to our last episode, you heard from Melissa, one of our team members on the ground. She's our senior director of communications, and she served on the DAR in Ukraine for several weeks. And as she came back, we sat down with her to hear her heart and her story, and we're going to share several of her interviews throughout this episode with our Samaritan's Purse staff and patients that are working in the medical clinics in Lviv. I know for me, it was really good just to hear from her in person as she kind of debriefed and processed what she'd seen. And, it, and I'll admit, it's, it's hard and it's heavy to hear, especially from somebody I know really well. I can see that this trip uh, changed her and moved her, um, and it, it was heartbreaking to hear some of these stories. But as Dave mentioned, we're hopeful 
because we see what God's doing and how He's using us for such a time as this. And so the first person we want to he- want you to hear from is Dr. Mark Agnes, one of our primary care doctors at the Samaritan's Purse Clinic outside the train station in Lviv. Let's start with Dr. Mark. Mm-hmm. You know, you you first met him at the train station. He was working at the the outpatient clinic there. Um, and there's so many things that impressed you about him, and same as we listened to his interview. But let's talk about some of the patients you met with him, you know, and how, what impressed you about the way that he interacted with the patients? Yeah, absolutely. So when I um, walked into the train station on the first day, um, Dr. Mark was pretty much the first figure that I saw. Um, he's a tall guy. He looks like he would be very imposing. Um but he had such a gentle nature, uh, very uh, measured, very soft-spoken, very reassuring, um, exactly the way you would want your doctor to be. Um, He was uh, just um, finishing with one patient when I walked in, and I noticed when he stood up, I could tell there was something, like I thought maybe his leg was hurt or um, there was something going on with his leg. He was just walking a little funny. And I made a small note of it, but it didn't really phase me much. You know, it wasn't what I was focused on because there were so many patients in there. And um, I didn't know at the time, and I found out just shortly later when I met his wife, who's also uh, serving in Ukraine with us and whose name is Melissa, um, she's the one who told me that he has multiple sclerosis, um, but he never said so. Um, and so, but I, it, it just connecting those two things, um, we ended up having a lot of conversation about it at meal times um, or at slow times in the tent. And uh, on my last day at the emergency field hospital, uh, Dr. Mark did the devotion for that morning. And it was so powerful and uh, just struck such a chord that um, even though everything was packed up, I just said, oh, I can't leave here without one last interview. And so I grabbed the recording equipment and ran into the tent and mm-hmm. and asked him if he would talk, talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you did because there's so much richness in his conversation. I mean, there's so many things that we want to share with the audience, but the biggest thing that struck me was the the part about humility. You know, how God, um, you know, the way to be fully used by God is to be humble. You know, and he used the example of Peter and just how Peter was stripped of all of his humility and he became a servant of Christ um, out of the overflow. So as I, as I look at humility, I realize that, that God uses uh, uh, our humble state and these events in our lives that humble us even further to go on ahead and prepare us to be useful to Him. Uh, without that humility, we are really not particularly useful uh, to Him. Uh, we need to get to a place where we realize that uh, uh, our efforts and uh, our plans are completely and totally insufficient. Um, we need to be emptied of that, and we need to come to a point where uh, we realize that uh, God can start to use us only in our weakness, only because He's God, and He can use us in any way He wants uh, at any time, and and He can use us powerfully. Um, I am a brother, I am a son, uh, and I am a a fellow co-worker with everybody here. uh, and in my humble state, I, I hope to be able to continue to do that for as long as I can, for as long as God allows me. 
And that's what he talked about, how MS he was thankful for, which I've never heard somebody say they're thankful for something that, you know, alters their their physical, especially causes pain, causes limping, like you said. But he said, I'm thankful for it because he grew closer to the Lord. And as you were talking about his ministry to that woman, I think of that verse in Corinthians, you know, the, I will comfort out of the way that God comforted me. And that's what it seems like with him because God has been so tender and teaching him through his illness, um, God has given him supernatural strength and compassion. So yes, he's a great physician. He's brilliant. I think he was very, he said he was successful almost to a point of pride. And then after getting MS, he now is humble. But now he has the brilliance, but also the compassion. So yeah, I, I think who better than to minister to people that are really have, have uncertainty in their future? Because he does too, even to this day. And as you mentioned, he was limping, yeah. but not telling anyone. Yeah. Going on yeah. despite pain, and he was still loving people. In my new humbled nature, um, I realized that uh, that God is completely sufficient. Um, he is all that I need, and uh, He is my identity. Um, it's what I am. It's who I am. It's what I hope to be. Um, I want to be able to continue to pray the uh, prayer that uh, that Paul uh, did in Philippians: that uh, uh, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I love Dr. Mark's humility and the way that he truly lives for the Lord. And, you know, he often said his suffering makes him more compassionate and makes him more dependent on the Lord. And I think it does make him such a perfect doctor to minister to these patients. And and one person that he was able to minister um, was a mom that came in in a yellow coat, and she had a nine or 10-year-old boy with her. And as he was examining her, uh, the lights flickered, um, and she panicked, thinking it was a bomb. Um, and obviously has been through so much pain and trauma. And her son was just comforting her, rubbing her hand, whispering to her that we're okay, we're safe. And, you know, our team just said it was hard to watch, you know, that this little boy had to grow up so fast. He's now having to comfort and take care of his mom because his dad's not with them. And again, Dr. Mark, He's a phenomenal doctor. He's wise and he's brilliant, but more importantly, he's compassionate and he has such empathy for his patients because his suffering that he's been through with MS, he's able to show compassion and understand their pain in a deeper way. And I think because there's so much uncertainty for his future and he's in pain a lot of a lot of the time, it allows him to understand their pain. And if you want to hear his full interview, it's phenomenal. We'll post it in our show notes because, again, we were all just struck by the fact that despite having MS, being in pain, he wanted to serve, and he left the comforts of his home to serve in Ukraine. And so I encourage you to go listen to that after this episode. Um, Just like Dr. Mark plays a pivotal role, every staff member of every DART comes for just this time. So I feel like, yeah, we, we want to talk about for such a time as this. I feel like every staff member mm-hmm. and every DART, they always say the right people are taken for each DART. The, it was just a, a puzzle created, and each person played a great part. So his role was so important. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think um, one thing I also noticed, and I was just thinking about how God weaves together 
a lot, not just a moment, but a life, right? And mm-hmm. so um, these people, you see that it wasn't just that God spoke to them in one moment and said, he said something to them and sent them, but that he had been preparing them mm-hmm. their whole lives mm-hmm. for this. Mm-hmm. Speaking to that, you know, some of the— There were a lot of new people that it was their very first start, but then there were a lot that had been on many deployments, you know, just like Barb, as you mentioned. And she, yeah, was able to obviously minister to the patients, but also to the staff. And yeah, talk to me about her because, I mean, she's so wise and just encourages everyone she comes across. But I know she probably played a role of a mentor and um, spoke life into the staff, you know, because it's a war zone. It's hard for anyone. But Barb has been there before, and so she can use what she learned. And I, I know she always says, every deployment prepares me for the next. Yes. So how did you see her, you know, use her wisdom and knowledge to help other doctors and nurses in this difficult time? Yeah. So Barb is our lab tech there. And um, it's hard for me to think of Barb without Regina. Mm-hmm. Um, and Regina was the charge nurse. And so these two women, they are— <laughs> They're teeny tiny little things, um, about as petite as petite gets, and um, but just so on fire for the Lord. And I just mm-hmm. I've never seen two people with so much energy, but I know it's just supernatural. Um, so Barb, um, she is a twenty-four hour person. She is the only lab tech in that hospital, um, so she sleeps in the lab. And, you know, gets woken up whenever there's a need, no matter the day or night. So she's only getting, you know, an hour or two of sleep sleep in any one increment. Yeah, she's just a spitfire. Um, He's used every uh, form of my education, every form of my training to prepare me for this time in life. Every time I leave, I say, Lord, if this is the last one, I thank you for this one. But if there's any way, can I do one more? Can I do one more? Many of the places that we travel with the field hospital is a place of darkness. It's a place that evil um, abounds. But, you know, the Word promises us that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. And, uh, you know, we've prayed over that everywhere we go, that, that God's light would be in everything we do. Uh, and I've, I've seen Him in the darkest of hours give hope, in the darkest of when uh, you, you believe with everything in you, there is just nothing more evil than this, and His light shines through. There's hope. At one point, um, I was in the, in the lab tent with the two of them, and one of our doctors who was um, on her first deployment came in in tears. And she said, I can't fix this. I can't fix this. Like, I can give people medicine for the rest of their journey, but I can't fix what's happening to them. I can't make it go away. I can't make these, this trauma go away. I can't make the memories go away. Regina stood up and wrapped her arms around the doctor and said, you're giving them Jesus. And that's all they need. When I go out, it doesn't matter who comes through the door. I'm going to give them Jesus just as much as I can in whatever way I can. And I'm satisfied with that. I, because the, the medical side is just one piece of it. 
And I believe that if we don't listen, we won't do what need what that person eternally needs. And that's what we need to do. We need to see each person that comes in contact with us. We need to look at them and see them as a person that Jesus loves and that they deserve our attention at that moment and they deserve whatever we can give them so that they can see Jesus in us. You know, that's that's just who they they are, um, Barb and Regina, to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just... It doesn't matter what your role is in the hospital, just their openness to be that that funnel mm-hmm. of God's mm-hmm. wisdom um, is so extraordinary. I know. I love I love both of them and their hearts, and they they're the perfect combination because you always think of Mary and Martha, you know, and how Martha was serving, and you know Mary or she was mad at Mary for not helping her serve, you know, and Jesus said, you know. What what Mary is doing is most important, you know, mm-hmm. spending the time at Jesus' feet. That will last forever. And, you know, but they have the combination of both hearts, you know, because they are, I mean, they're hardworking. And they work their, you know, like you said, 24 hours a day if needed. But their hearts are sitting at his feet. And I think Barb was the one that said when people ask her, you know, how do I prepare for a dart? You know, she said, I'll tell you three things. Fall in love with Jesus, fall in love with Jesus, fall in love with Jesus. That's, that's it. Right. You know, that's it. It's spending time in, at, in His Word with Him, falling in love with Him so that you can overflow and, you're right, introduce people to Jesus. That is yeah. why they're there. Yeah. Yes, they're experts at their, you know, medically they're wonderful and they can help people physically as well, which is important. But the most important thing is sharing Jesus. Mm-hmm. And they keep the main thing the main thing. And I think they remind people when you come, because you're right, it's disheartening, especially as a doctor or a nurse, to not be able to help them and feel like you're failing. Uh, but to be reminded, we're not. Mm-hmm. As long as your mission stays, we're here to tell them the gospel. That's right. And no one who went into one of those tents mm-hmm. came out the same as when they went in. Mm-hmm. Even if their problem couldn't be fixed, mm-hmm. right? So even if, um, you know, they they were still, even, even with the stress and mm-hmm. the trauma, there was something that was given to them there, a hope, a way to mm-hmm. put one foot in front of the other again, mm-hmm. um, a tenderness, a love, a compassion, mm-hmm. um, something they needed to refill their, mm-hmm. their soul tank, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, some of them were believers, some of them were not believers. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them were given something more precious than any medical care mm-hmm. they could have ever received. And it was obvious when they walked out that it made a difference. Yeah. Their a burden was lightened. And I, one person that pointed that out was Tanya, who I want to talk about too, one of the interpreters. And I think she knows more than anyone because she understands them. You know, she was their voice uh, for many of them that didn't speak English. And I had this possibility to to um, combine both my love for languages and my love for um, helping people. And I could at least um, be somebody's uh, like mouth and to really um, translate and um, transition like words from one person to another which brings me joy and I don't even know how this could happen in the times of war but it's like something that I could never even pray for 
God gave me something that I couldn't even hope for or imagine. So people are really desperate for God in such in like moments like these. Like the fact that uh, Samaritan Purse helps people both with their um, like physical health and their spiritual health is um, I don't know. It's it's something that I look up to and something that I adore. I will tell you, our Ukrainian staff, Tanya, our other interpreters, our drivers, um, they absolutely amazed me because here they are living in fear. I mean, this is their home, and yet they came to work every day with a smile on their face and brought so much joy and such an, a tremendous work ethic. And um, you know, I think about um, about Tanya, who opened her home to refugees, people she had never met. And she just said, yes, come stay with me. And she said, even if they stay a year, I don't care. Um, they are welcome in my home, and I will take care of them as long as they need to be taken care of. I, I was just blown away by our Ukrainian staff and what they were living under, the fear um, that they themselves were living under, and yet showed up, showed up on time, worked so hard, um, and just focused on serving others. Melissa, you you know met so many people and and sat with them in their pain, and I know that's hard uh, to carry. And you're going to remember these faces for the rest of your life. But one boy that hit me. I got to watch a video um, that the news station put up, but, you know, he was bringing his grandmother out. um, And, you know, he felt like he failed because that was his one job. You mentioned everybody came out changed, and I think he did too after the shock wore off and you guys were able to just love him and and be with him during that. What, What was that like? That was a hard day. And this young man, Vlad was his name, and he had come running over to the clinic um, yelling for help, help, my grandmother, my grandmother. And so one of our doctors, one of our nurses ran over there to where the bus uh, buses were, and she was lying on the curb, and they started some initial first aid. Um, it was clear she needed more substantive help. And so um, our nurse, Peter, he there was no time for a stretcher. There was no time. Uh, and so he just picked her up, and he just— hoisted her over his left shoulder and just ran as fast mm-hmm. as he could to the tent. Mm-hmm. And once they got her inside, um, everyone, uh, I mean, even our vi- our vice president of programs was holding her feet up. Um, one of our local partners was holding the, uh, the IV fluids in the air. Um, you know, everyone just um, immediately did whatever they could. And uh, I was standing there with the grandson mm-hmm. and he he spoke um, pretty good English, actually, and he said, my mom sent me with her to get her across the border safely. And I failed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that broke me in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, all, all I could say was, you did what you, you did the best you could, and you came and you got us. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do everything we can. You know, these are doctors and nurses from America uh, and England and Canada, and they're 
we're going to do what we can. You came and got, you came to the right place and you did everything you could. And he was devastated and he was alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, they had left. It was just him and his grandmother and her cat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, and I just knew like if something happened to her, he was by now by himself Mm -hmm. in Lviv by himself with his, you know, and, and, um, so our team did everything they could, transferred her over to the paramedics to take her to the larger hospital. They got her into the ambulance. I have no doubt that the paramedics, the Ukrainian paramedics, mm-hmm. did everything they could. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they did. But um, there was just nothing that could mm-hmm. be done. And um, and so she passed away. And so there is standing this young man all by himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know, a child. A child mm-hmm. feeling guilty. Mm-hmm. It was such a big job to begin with mm-hmm. to get grandma over the border. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, just mm-hmm. even if she had been in the per- in perfect health mm-hmm. and nothing had happened, mm-hmm. it would have been overwhelming for a young man of his age or anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and someone asked him, "Where? What do you do now? What do you go next?" And he said, "I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know." Mm-hmm. I'm just going to call my mom and do whatever she tells me to do. Mm-hmm. And it broke me. Mm-hmm. And it broke our team. And we really had to process that mm-hmm. together and, um, you know, and just sit and talk through it and pray through it. And um, and I was I just remember thinking, you know, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. But there was just no way. I mean, um, I think it was it was just one of those moments um, that um, broke us. But then, mm-hmm. I think in 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 a way that only the Lord can do, it also made the team stronger because mm-hmm. um, uh, I think everyone felt bonded. All these first time Dart people mm-hmm. who didn't know each other two days before that mm-hmm. had just experienced something together mm-hmm. and. Um, and sought the Lord through that together and prayed through that together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my prayer is that he will redeem this moment in the life of Vlad mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that somehow that will be a moment um, that glorifies him even in Vlad's life. But I know for our team that it it's not something that's not still painful. Mm-hmm. But I do think that he was able, that the Lord supernaturally redeemed it Mm -hmm. within each individual heart and with the team, within the team itself. Mm -hmm. So painful. I just think of like the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. As we close out today's episode, I want to share the rest of Dave and I's conversation. He shared how God prepared church partners ahead of time and also how our teams have adapted and shifted to meet the needs on the ground. So how, I guess, are you keeping teams safe? And maybe what can you even share to people asking that question? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really important question. Um, the, the first thing that I would say about it is that um, our mission is our priority. So we have a mission. And I think uh, of Jesus, you know, the safest place for him to have been was to stay in heaven, but he came and his body was scarred in order to show us love. And to, and to take that on, take our sin on the cross. And so mm-hmm. he did something dangerous for us. And he says, go and do likewise. So there's a, 
there's a mission that drives our thinking. But again, that can't be reckless. Mm-hmm. It can't be unwise. It can't be without consideration for uh, the data points and the specific information about what's happening from a, 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 the security context. This is a war zone. Uh, there's violence happening everywhere. When you think about war, wars is literally the organized killing of people. Uh, that's what it is. And right now we're in the middle of that. And so we we have an, an entire team of people, you know, our security department, uh, who are some of the smartest folks that I know who are able to analyze all of the information that is available to understand the dynamics of the security environment on the ground. And what we wanna do is we wanna understand the risk that is presented to us. Mm-hmm. So we don't wanna ever walk into a situation where we don't understand what the risks are. Now we may take those risks. Mm-hmm. We may say, we're gonna go to that situation and help those people, even though it's risky, but we never wanna do it in a way that's un, uninformed or unwise mm-hmm. about what's what's going on. So, you know, Jesus said, be as wise a uh, serpent, innocent as a dove. You know, so we want to understand, but understanding that it's dangerous then allows you to say, okay, I pray differently, mm-hmm. uh, I think differently, I act maybe slower or maybe faster, or maybe, you know, there's different things that you then can do in order to be wise in the midst of that situation. Mm-hmm. But I think one of our observations over the years of working in these types of uh, man-made uh, disasters that are very dangerous is that there's cracks that exist, little cracks that happen between where the violence is uh, and the people, especially the most vulnerable, are in those little cracks. And that's where we want to get. We want to be right there where the most vulnerable are in the midst of the violence that's happening all around them. And if we can do that, then that's fulfilling our mission. We have hospitals, we have clinics, we have, and again, we're reassessing food distribution, as you mentioned. Yeah. Talk to me about the resupply and why you know we're sending almost weekly, right? We have sent five uh, flights mm-hmm. of resupply. Talk to me about why that's necessary and even just why there is a lack of health. I mean, obviously, many of their healthcare facilities have been bombed, so mm-hmm. they're completely destroyed. Uh, so they don't have the resources that they typically have. So why is resupply important and how are we filling that gap? Yeah. So when we, when we first deployed uh, the emergency field hospital and all of the outpatient clinics, all those medical facilities mm-hmm. that we were talking about, uh, we sent about 45 days of supplies for our teams, the Samaritan's Purse, doctors and nurses, to serve beneficiaries in Ukraine. And when we did that, we realized that the system in Ukraine, the, the, the healthcare system there is totally stressed, completely overwhelmed. We've got 45 days of supplies. They only have 24 hours. So we have to do something. So we immediately pivoted our airlift capacity that Samaritan's Purse has internally and our procurement capacity. And just a small miracle, when we told our procurement team we wanted to send a DC-8 load of medical supplies every five days, they all just said it's impossible. Like this, this is literally not possible. The global supply chain is stretched. Everybody's buying medical supplies. This is not something that we think we can do. And it, God has showed up in the last two weeks, three weeks, we have the supplies that we need every time enough to fill the plane and send it over. And those supplies are going directly to clinics, hospitals, and the other systems within Ukraine that are really stressed right now because of the conflict. Thank you so much for listening, for praying, and supporting the ministry of Samaritan's Purse.
As you can see from this episode, God truly is the author of this response, and we as the staff are following His lead. And I love the way that God is providing and guiding our staff and church partners to respond in this crisis. He is providing the resources and the connections so that we can do things that seem impossible to man. And we kept saying it over this episode, for such a time as this. And I'm sure you know that we're referring to the story of Esther in the Bible. Esther became queen at a pivotal time for the people of Israel. We're watching our staff truly be Esthers in this time. They are risking their lives. They are willing to step out into danger to save people that God loves, everyone that they come in contact with. They are encouraging Christians and the church, but they're also sharing the gospel with people who've never heard the hope of Jesus. If you want to see more pictures and and hear more stories of what's happening on the ground, go to our Instagram at onthegroundsp. You can also go to the website, samaritanspurse.org, to read more stories and get updates and videos of what's, what's happening, and they're constantly updating it. I hope this episode encouraged you and gave you greater compassion and insight in how to pray for people that are caught in the conflict. And we're closing this episode with Tanya, one of our translators that you heard from in our episode, and she talked about how praising the Lord and singing worship was uh, encouraging her faith and keeping her strong in this hard time. And so we're closing it with her singing, Our God is an Awesome God in the Midst of a Bomb Shelter. Наш Бог всемогутній править він землею і небом все у владі його наш Бог всемогутній Бог